0: and grab a seat man it is so great to be back (laughs) did you miss me not too much I guess um It is amazing to be back. I feel like I need to reintroduce myself or or wear a name tag or something because I've been gone for so long. Uh, My name is Byron. If you are new, I get the honor and privilege to be able to serve here as the lead pastor. Me and my wife, Ashley, we started Redemption Church seven years ago because we have a passion to help people experience life change through Jesus. I'm so excited to be here today. Before we get started, I would like to just give some honor where honor is due. And can we just all give just a special shout out, round of applause to our amazing staff and all of the leadership team here for holding it down over the last two months. Man, It is amazing to see what, what God has continued to do even while we're gone. It's, it's great to be able to lead a church that is built on Jesus and not me, amen? Uh, because if it was all about me, then this place would have been closed down a long time ago, but because it's all about Jesus, we keep growing. And also, I wanna give a special shout out to the person sitting next to you for showing up even when I wasn't here. Turn to your neighbor and say, good job, good job. You did a great job. Thank you for loving your church, for serving your church, for praying and believing in your church today. And so if you have your Bibles, open up me to Acts chapter 4. We're going to continue our study through the book of Acts called The Church, where we're learning from the first church some lessons that we can apply to our church so that way we can be the church that God has called us to be. And the sermon title today is called What Makes a Church Healthy. We're going to be talking about um, healthy churches. And speaking of healthy churches, I have a confession to make. I ate like trash when I was on my sabbatical. Uh, if you know me, um, then I actually take my health moderately seriously. Like I, I run in the mornings, I work out in the evenings, I eat decently okay. Uh, But about a year ago, I really started taking my physical fitness and working out and my my diet very seriously. I started seeing some gains and started seeing some body composition changes, feeling pretty good about myself. And when we decided we were going to go on this extended vacation, I told Ashley, I said, hey, we're going to keep our normal routines. And that lasted for about a day. Uh, The first trip we went on, we went to Philadelphia and I ate three cheesesteaks, three Philly cheesesteaks, two in one day, right? And then it was just out the window from there because we went to the lake, and calories don't count at the lake, and then we went to the beach, and then we went to the water park, and if you're paying $40 for chicken nuggets, you have to eat all of them, right? I mean, that's just bad stewardship, and so I I ate all the chicken nuggets and french fries that my eyes desired, and then we went to Arizona, and my God, the tacos in Arizona are amazing. It's not Tex-Mex. It's like Cali-Mex, and it's just Oh, it was so delicious. And by the time that I I came back home, I felt disgusting. I looked in the mirror. I'm like, I'm disgusted with you. Uh, and so me and Ashley were like, hey, we're going to get back in routine. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna take our health very seriously. Now, because of my personality, I, I never like to do anything like halfway. I always want to like do it, um, you know, to the best. And I'm very impatient. Like I'm the guy who yells at a microwave for taking too long. Like, I try to use Wi-Fi on the the airplane. I'm like, why is this not working? And it's like, well, it has to go up to space first and come. I'm on an airplane, and I'm getting mad at Wi-Fi. Like, that's my personality, okay? And so I was like, how do I lose weight fast? Okay, just if you've ever Googled that, just don't. Um, Because there's all sorts of fads and all sorts of things and and influencers, and people are going to try to sell you something, like a quick fix to, to getting to getting healthy you know we all have seen it like hey if you just follow this diet then you can lose 20 pounds in 10 days or you can have bolder shoulders in five weeks if you do this workout and if you follow this program and they all sell you on on something a quick fix for you to to get healthy and so what I want to do, because I'm a pastor and everything that I read becomes a sermon illustration, I want to share with you some of these fads or these quick fixes to get healthy. Here's one from the 1920s I came across. It's called the cigarette diet. Um, and so instead of, instead of eating, just smoke a cigarette instead. You'll look great, but you'll smell terrible. Um, and then there was this other one, it's called the cotton ball diet. Kid you not, this is something that people actually do. I looked up some news articles where I talked about teenagers being hospitalized because they're eating cotton balls dipped in orange juice because they think it won't make them as hungry because they're already going to be stuffed. Amen. Okay. Uh, uh, here, here's, here's, here's another one, it's called the cottage cheese and mustard diet. Uh, This one's trending on TikTok, and so if you have a TikTok, you've probably seen this. If you don't have a TikTok, don't get one. Um, And where people are actually just eating cottage cheese and mustard. And the reason why it it, it works is because you spend all day throwing up. Uh, which is not a diet. That's an eating disorder. Please get some help. Uh, and then the, the fourth one, this one was the most crazy. It was called the, the tapeworm diet. Look at this graphic from the early 1900s. Look what it says at the bottom, now with tapeworms. Uh, and so why bother eating food when you can just let the worms eat it for you? Uh, just if you're interested in any of those things, just don't Just please don't do that. There is no quick fixes to getting healthy. There is no shortcut to to health. Um, It takes discipline. It takes takes a mindset. It takes takes a habit. And, And the habit is what determines your health. If you're taking notes, write that down. We're a note-taking church here at Redemption, and here's going to be the thought that's going to guide our service today, that your habits determine your health. If you want to have a good, healthy life, you need to develop good habits for your life, because good habits lead to what? Good health, but bad habits lead to a poor health. Your habits, um, they determine your health your health. We understand this in other areas as well. Like like if you wanna lose weight, you gotta have some good habits to be able to help you accomplish that. But if your diet consists of nothing but food that ends in Eitos, Cheetos, Fritos, Doritos, burritos, don't expect to have good health because you don't have good habits. If you stay up all night playing video games and you, you hit your snooze five times in the morning because you can't seem to wake up, right? Don't be surprised when that has a negative effect on your health. Dieters or scientists and researchers, nutritionists, they've determined that there's really only three things you need to do in order to to be healthy. It's, It's not as complicated as people make it. It's diet, it's exercise, and it's rest. Like if you eat a nutritious diet, if you exercise throughout the day, about 60 minutes a day is what they suggest. And if you would sleep about eight hours or maybe even take a nap through the day, then your body over time, not overnight, but over time is going to be healthy. Three things. That's it. Diet, exercise, rest. If you focus on those three things, it will develop a habit and those good habits will develop good health. You get it when it comes to your marriage. If you want to have a healthy marriage, you need to have some good habits for your marriage. If you want to raise healthy kids, you got to establish habits within your house so that way your kids can grow up, they can be successful, and they can experience good health for themselves as well. Cultures in businesses, they have to have best practices. They have to establish good health because when a culture is healthy, then it's going to continue to be successful in every other area of your life. We got to focus on the health. And what is true for us physically is also true for us spiritually. Because here's what the Bible says that the church is what? A body. And the same way that we need to take care of our physical bodies is the same way that we should take care of our spiritual body, that which is the the church. And so if we want to have good health, we have to focus on the habits that we begin to develop as a church. What kind of habits make a church healthy. We're going to see that in Acts chapter 4. If you have your Bible, start off in verse 32. We're going to learn five habits from the early church. One of the reasons that we're studying the book of Acts is because we want to look back and see what they did so that way we can apply these lessons to our church as well. We want to learn from them so that way we can continue in living out the purpose, the function, and the goal in which God still has established for his church today. How many of you want to go to an un healthy church? Raise your hand. Anybody want to go to unhealthy church? You're like, I love churches that are just gossiping and bickering and complaining and splitting over the dumbest things. Anybody like those churches? You're like, no, that's why I left that church and I'm coming here. Who wants to go to a healthy church? Who wants to go to a church where there's life, where people are experiencing hope and joy and freedom and there's laughter and kids running around in the lobby when there are small groups and people are sharing and enjoying one another's company? Who wants to go to a, a church where the spirit is moving and the preaching of God's word and the baptism tank never runs dry? Who wants to go to a healthy church? Is that the church you want to go to? In order for redemption to be a healthy church, then we have to develop healthy habits because it is the habit that determines the health of a church. And so we're going to read it all up front. We're going to make a couple of observations, and then I am going to give you five habits of a healthy church out of the book of Acts. And here's what we see starting in verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and no one said any of the things that belonged to them was their own. They had everything in common, and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And with great Grace was upon them all. Now, when you're reading your Bible in the book of Acts, when you see that word great in the Greek, that word is megos, and that word it means supernatural. It means otherworldly. It means divine. It was the the hand of God was upon them. And so when they were preaching, they didn't just have power. No, they had a great power because it was a spirit-filled preaching. And then here it says that they had great grace. That grace was the hand of God. It was a move of God. It was God's supernatural anointing upon them, and they experienced his favor. The great grace was upon them. And it says, there was not a needy person among them, for as many were owners of lands and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and they laid it at the apostles feet and it was distributed to each as any had need now we're an expository church here that's might be a new word for some of you like what does that mean it means we teach verse by verse through books of the bible so we're in week three. 13 of an 80-week study through the book of Acts. And we are at the very end of chapter four. And what I always tell our church is this, in order to understand the text, you have to understand the... Context, Because it's not just an isolated verse that we pick and choose, no. We have to step back and we have to see the verse in the context and to understand the fullness of the story of what's happening. So let's recap and review all the way back to chapter one. Chapter one starts off after the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus, fully God, fully man, died for the sins of the world. He was crucified three days later. He resurrected, overcoming Satan's in hell, death in the grave, giving us the ability to, to overcome sin, to live a new life both now and forevermore. That's what we learn at the beginning of the book of Acts. And then Jesus gives what is known as the Great Commission. It is the marching orders. It's the vision statement. It's the to-do list for the church. In Acts 1.8, here it is, that you will be my witnesses from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So what is the goal of a church? To be jesus witnesses witnesses to the ends of the world. But he says this, you need to wait until you receive the Holy Spirit, because it's the Spirit of God that empowers you to fulfill the mission of God. And so in Acts chapter 2, in a prayer meeting, out of nowhere, the Holy Spirit shows up. They're all baptized with the Spirit. They're filled with this power that Jesus promised. And then they begin preaching, and three thousand people are saved in a single day. Three thousand people. The church goes from about a hundred and twenty to three thousand people in a ten-day period, and they baptize every single one of them. So the church is growing. It's thriving. And then in Acts chapter 3, persecution comes. They're preaching Jesus. They get arrested, thrown in prison. The religious leaders, they say, if you keep preaching about Jesus, next time you won't get off so lucky. We're going to kill you. So they get out in chapter 3. They run back to their prayer meeting, and they tell people what happened. And they said, we need to pray and figure out what is we're supposed to do next. So they pray. They're filled with the Spirit again. The place is shaken. And they determine they're going to continue to preach the Word of God with all boldness, and the church continues to grow. What they speculate is that here we are in chapter 4, the church by now has grown to about 5,000 men, not including women and children, 5,000 men. So you're looking at maybe twenty to 25,000 people who are now Christians in the early church. See, in our society today, what people want to do in the the church world is they want to point to big churches, and they say, big church is bad, small church is good. But that's not what the Bible focuses on. Because we see that even the early church, they they were a very large church. Because God is not concerned about the size of the church nearly as much as he's concerned about the health of the church. Because I've been to some big churches that are amazing. And I've been to some small churches that can't even agree on anything. I've been to some big churches that are toxic. And I've been to some small churches that are filled with the most wonderful people you'll ever meet in your life. Why? Because it's not about the size, it's about the health. That's what God's most focused on. Is this church healthy? The first church, they were a very large church. But yet at the same time, they were a very healthy church. And, and here's the thought that's been guiding us throughout this series. Every sermon series I start I always kind of come up with a theme or a thought to be able to help guide you in your own sermon uh, prep or your own like Bible reading or getting ready for small group. And here's been the thought that's guided this series is if he did it for them, he can do it for us. Like we, when we read the Bible, I want you to know that this is not just an old book. This is an eternal book and that it's timeless. Therefore, it's always timely and it's always relevant to whatever we're going through in our life. And so if he did it for them, he could do it for us, is this idea that what we read in the Bible is just as true today as it was then. And so we we focused on it in the realm of the miraculous. So did God heal then? Then yeah, I believe that God still wants to heal now. Like, did God perform miracles in people's lives then? Then I believe that God wants to still perform miracles in people's lives today. I mean, we saw the gifts of the Spirit have been evident all throughout the early church, and we believe that the gifts of the Spirit are still evident today for the local church today. We focused on this idea of he did it for them, he could do it for us in the realm of evangelism. That did did, did God save people in the old? Then yes, then God can save people today. Did God did, did God heal and did God deliver people then? Yes, then God can do and deliver people today. Did people did, did people get saved and baptized then, then yes, God wants to still see people saved and baptized still to this day. Why? Because if he did it for them, he could do it for us. And I wonder if we might have forgotten that in the area of church growth. If he did it for them, he can still do it for us. See, in our society, in the culture of the church, we focus on all sorts of different type of things. People run off to to the world or to, to secular or to business ideas and best practices and marketing and advertising and Facebook. And I'm not against any of those things. We do those things here at the church. But those are not the things that make a church healthy. And it becomes a problem when the church prioritizes those things instead of the most important thing. And what is that for us? It's God's word that if He did it for them, He he can do it for us. Like we're learning lessons from the early church so we can apply this to our lives. Like this book is not just a history book, this book is a legacy book, guys. That it's the legacy of the first church passed down from generation to generation over 2,000 years until it's made its way here to Southeast Texas and Beaumont and Redemption Church. And we've received the legacy of the church. And we are now to pass that legacy on to future and next generations. It's not just about what happened. It's about what happens when a church learns how to be a church. And so what habits can we learn from this church? Because listen, if it worked for them, it can work for us. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And so there were some principles, there were some habits, there was some culture that the very first church had that I want for us at Redemption to learn from so we can capture it and we can live it out. And so what are some of these habits? Let me give you five habits from the very first church. Here's the first habit, is they had a pursuit for unity. Look what it says in Verse 32. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said they had anything that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Now, let's think about that for a sec. They had everything in common? If so, that would be the only church that ever had anything in common with each other. Like, they agreed on everything, even the color of the carpet. They had everything in common. Now, I believe that the Bible is God's authoritative word, and we're to build our life on it. But when I read that, they had everything in common. I have to think, I don't know if that's actually what it means. Because some people are like, we have to have everything in common. Everybody needs to look the same and act the same and and behave the same and believe the same. That's the only way that we're going to have unity. And so everybody looks the same. Everybody wears the same clothes. All the men have beards. All the women wear dresses. They all read from the same translation of the Bible. They all send their kids to the same private school. Everybody looks exactly the same. Like if that's what you're looking for, that's not a church, that's a cult. And that ain't communion, that's Kool-Aid, brother. Don't drink it. Because that's the idea is, is, is uniformity. That's a high controlled environment, most likely led by a abusive spiritual leader. That's not the goal of the Bible. The Bible's goal is not uniformity where everybody looks the same. It's unity where even despite our differences, we have the same purposes. That's real unity. Here it talks about they're one heart, soul, and mind. That word in the Greek is is homothemomodon, which is where we get the word thermometer of the same temperature. They had the same passion. They had the same goals. They had the same purpose. It's not that they had everything in common but they had the most important thing common, which was Jesus. And so here's what we need to learn. If we want true unity, you gotta understand this, is that our differences may describe us, but they do not divide us. Listen, if you go back to Acts chapter two, it gives a big long list of dozens of nations that were present in the preaching of Pentecost. It talks about the Ethiopians and the Medes, and it talks about people from North Africa and Libya and South Africa, and they were all there from Jerusalem, Judea, and they heard the message and they all believed Now, do you think all those people from different countries spoke the same language? No, they even spoke with different dialects and languages, the Bible says. Do they all eat the same food? No. Do they all raise their kids the same way, dress the same way? No, they were diverse, but yet they were united because they refused to allow their differences to define them and be divided over it. Our society loves to divide people over what makes them different. That's all we see all across society. We see the rich versus the poor. We see the young versus the old. We see black and white and Republican and Democrat. And everything is so divided, but yet everybody keeps talking about unity. We need unity, but yet everything is so divided. Because because diversity, for the sake of diversity, it leads to division. This is what we're seeing right now happening in the Supreme Court. They just overruled affirmative action because in their attempts to stamp out racism, they actually ended up becoming racist, selecting people not because of their character, but because of the color of their skin, and that is now who they let in and who they keep out. So that's deemed unconstitutional because diversity for the sake of diversity just leads to division. But unity, despite our differences, that leads to beauty and harmony, and that leads to life. Like at Redemption Church, I love that our church is so diverse, but yet we are also so united. Like at Redemption Church, you walk in, and you're like, these people don't have anything in common. Like, like, like we have like like punk rockers and, and we got, you know, cowboys sitting next to each other. We got rich and, and poor, young and old. We got Republicans and Democrats. Some people, they wear, you know, Magellan shirts and other people wear Jordans, right? And, and so it's like people are from all different backgrounds. They've all come together. Why? Because we agree on what is most important. That's Jesus. That's the most important thing. That we have the same mind and the same heart and the same attitude that is all together. And so at Redemption, there's some of you where you're, you're very wealthy. You've worked hard. You've made a good life for yourself. And there's others of you who are struggling to pay your bills. There's, there's some of you who you were raised in church and others of you, this is the first church you've ever been to. Welcome. We're glad to have you. For, for some of you, your grandparents who get to spend time with the grandkids and others of you, you're a single mom working two jobs just to be able to try to make ends meet. And while we are different, we are not divided. We are united because we have a same common purpose, which is what? To help people experience life change through Jesus. And so we have to, as a church, lay aside our preferences, and we have to unite over the greater purpose, which is to be the witness of Jesus to a lost and dying world. Now, some of you at this moment, you're thinking, okay, Byron, does that mean that I just need to like check my doctrine at the door and we need to just get rid of, you know, what it is that we believe and just call that unity? No, that's not what I'm saying. What, what I'm saying is that there are churches that have an agreement on doctrine and yet they are still divided. Like you can all agree on the same doctrine and not be united with one another. We, we've seen that in churches. So here's how we express it here at Redemption is that, that we have what we would call um, close-handed and open-handed conversations. Okay, uh, uh, close-handed conversations. These are things that we cannot disagree on because if you do disagree on them, you're not a Christian. Not only are you not a church, you're not a Christian. So we cannot be united on things that are unbiblical. And so what we would say is there's close-handed issues like the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Like if you don't believe Jesus rose from the dead, you're not a Christian. You can't be a member of our church. Like the doctrine of the Trinity, that's a close-handed issue. Uh, The the role of the church, that's a close-handed issue. The second coming of Jesus, close-handed issue. For us, if you go to our website, you can read all of the close-handed issues. We have them on our beliefs page. And human sexuality is one of them for us here at Redemption. Because God created us, male and female, marriage between one man and one woman. And God designed it, therefore we have no right to redefine it. This is God's way, and so we hold that in a close-handed issue here. But then there's open-handed issues. What's an open-handed issue? Things that we can disagree about, we can dialogue about, we can debate over, but we do not need to divide over. What would be some issues around that? Like, how old is the world? I don't know. Old enough. Like, when's Jesus coming back? Soon, I hope. At least before the next election. Amen? And so... So we have these open-handed issues. Like some of you are like, well, is speaking in tongues the baptism of the Holy Spirit or is it just a gift of the Spirit? I'm like, pick one, doesn't bother me. Are you Calvinist or Arminius? I don't know, both and neither at the same time. Which one are you? We can go sit down and we can have some coffee, we can debate, but we do not need to divide over it because we're not gonna make secondary issues primary issues and we're not gonna allow our preferences, the way that we like things, to become our prejudices to where if people don't do it our way, we can't be a part of that. No, we gather around the most important thing. What do we have in common? We have Jesus in common. And so we don't allow our differences to bring division, but rather we unite around the diversity of the church. It says they had a common purpose, which was to pursue unity with one another. The second thing we see is that there's a call to community. The only way that you can have real unity is if you live in community that word community is a compound word, common unity. Put them together, you get community. In order for you to have the first habit, you have to develop the second habit, which is living a community. And healthy churches and pastors will give a clear call for church people to be in community with one another. Now, there's a group of TikTok preachers and woke pastors. And, and what they'll say is that, that in the book of Acts, what you're gonna see is a communist system. Because in Acts 2, it says that, you know, they, they all shared everything. And then Acts 4, it says, nothing belonged to them. They shared with anybody who has a need. See, the early church, they were communist and Marxist and Jesus was a socialist. And therefore we should be progressive socialists as well. Listen, uh, communism is not community, okay? The words are different. And here's the difference. Because they were sharing, socialism is stealing. right? The government, they take, Christians they give. The government, they tax, Christians, we tithe. There's a difference. One is voluntary, the other is done by tyrannical governments and leadership. And so for all of the people who are like, I'm a progressive Christian and the Bible says we should all be socialists. Listen, don't listen to theologians with pronouns in their bio. Here's the three things you need to know. That Jesus loves you, Jesus died for you, and communism has failed everywhere that it's been tried. (laughs) There is not a communist system that is established because there is private ownership and willing sharing. They gave as people felt needs. Because why? Because they were close enough with the people they were in the church with to understand what the needs were and to be able to meet those needs. How did they live in that? Because there was a call to community. Listen, the Bible teaches this. From the very beginning, listen, you were not meant to do life alone. You were not made to do life alone. There is no DIY discipleship. There's no isolated saints. And and, and there's no, uh, the, the Bible knows nothing of Lone Ranger Christianity. All the way from Genesis. What we see is that God made man. He said, it's not good for man to be alone. Therefore, he made a helper fit for him. And he brought them together in community. And they said, be fruitful and multiply. Why? Because God desires for community. And as the Bible progresses, that multiplication took place into the nation of Israel. And God selected 12 tribes. Not one. 12 tribes to come and to represent the nation of Israel. Why? Because community mattered so much to them. And then Jesus, the Lord Jesus, He comes, God, very God, enters into humanity, and the first thing he does when he goes public was start a small group. Jesus was in a small group. You're like, I don't believe in, I don't need to be in a small group. Are you better than Jesus? No. So sign up for a small group. And then what happens is, is that small group became the 12 apostles and the apostles taught this value to the church and the church had a call to community because they recognized that, hey, we can't, this Christian life is too big for us. We cannot do this on our own. Listen, in our day and age, I know it's really popular. People are like, "Like, I don't need the church because I am the church. How arrogant of you to think that you are all of us. Right, You're like, I, I don't need to go to church because right? i got my podcast and I, I, I watch these YouTube channels and I have a personal relationship with Jesus. I don't need to go to church. Listen, you don't need to go to church to be a Christian in the same way you don't need a parachute to jump out of an airplane. It just helps. <laughs> like a car doesn't need an engine to be a car, but it ain't going to go nowhere if it don't. And if you don't go to church and you're not plugged in and committed into a local church, you are not only robbing yourself of what God wants to do in your life, but you're robbing the person next to you from accomplishing what God has designed in their life as well. Like we need each other if we want to truly be a church. And as a pastor, we have to give a clear call for community. Like Redemption Church, we're just not one of those churches where people can slip in and slip out unnoticed for too long because we put a a high value on this as a church. Like if you're just looking for a church where you can come and just be a consumer and you can sit in a pew and you can listen to the songs and you can hear the sermon and you don't ever have to make a friend or get involved, like this is gonna be the wrong church for you because we are going to annoy the mess out of you. Like, hey, have you joined a small group? Have you been on a serve team? What's your name? Where are you from? Right, Uh, you know, we're gonna ask, how'd you hear about us? We're gonna ask you a million different questions and we will get to know you by the end of the day, right? Because nobody's invisible here. Because we have a a call for community that we give to every single person who is on a serve team. Because we value that here at Redemption so incredibly, incredibly much. Because we want to see people experience life change. And here's what we say at Redemption. Life change does not happen in the lobby. Life change happens in a living room. Because you're only going to get to connect with somebody for like five minutes in a lobby, but you're going to get to do life with somebody When you sit down around a meal, share your story, and hear theirs, that's where the real authentic Christian life begins, by the way. Like the Sunday sermon is great, but God wants more for you than just to have a little bit of a Jesus on Sunday. He wants for you to experience true, genuine life with him every day. And in order for that, we got to get out of the lobby and we got to start getting into living rooms. This is how the early church is built. This is the discipleship process that we have here at Redemption. It says that they would meet in temples and they would meet in homes. In Acts chapter 5, they're going to be in Solomon's Portico, which is a a great um, thought place or maybe more like an institution or a college where they would be able to see thousands of people. And they're preaching very publicly, but they're also meeting in homes privately. Why Why do we do that? We have church on Sunday. We have small groups all across Southeast Texas from Orange to Lumberton, Mid-County, and even here in Beaumont because we wanna try to be as healthy as the church was in the Bible, that they would meet publicly and they would do life together privately because we are not made to do life by ourselves. So if you're not yet on a serve team or in a small group, Next Steps is the first Sunday of every month. We would love for you to jump in and join us. And if you have been and you would like to take that next next step, we open membership twice a year and we'll be reopening in August. If you would like to become an official member of Redemption, then you can sign up for the class where I'll be teaching it and we can make it official as well. It's a call to community, which leads to the, the third thing. It's, it's a value of simplicity. Listen, the church is not an event. The church is not a building. The church is not a social club. We are not in entertainment. We're not in the entertainment business. No, the church is what? It's a church. We're a church. That's what we do. We do church stuff. Sometimes people come in, they're offended. They're like, I can't believe they said that. Well, you're in our house. We're a church, all right? All right. <laughs> Like like a church is a a church, and 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 I love that God gives like so much freedom to the way that churches are able to gather and to operate. God gives us tremendous freedom, but yet at the same time, He also sets boundaries to where a church, if it goes across the boundary, it is now out of bounds and in sin. But inside the boundaries. God gives tremendous freedom. And here's how we would say it here at Redemption, that there's a difference between methods and and, and the message, right? The methods can change according to church to church or time or season, but the message for the last 2,000 years has always been the same. You can change the methods, but you cannot touch the message. Look what it says right here. What's the simplicity? And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. How do we do that? Over 10,000, 2,000 years, it's changed a whole lot. But the message itself has never changed. What is the message of a church? The testimony in power of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose, and Jesus changes lives. The message is and has always been all about Jesus. The church should just keep it simple and keep preaching Jesus. But there's... A new wave of people who don't think that's good enough, because they 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 they, they want to change the message to be able to reach new people instead of instead of recognizing that the methods are 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 able to change, but you can't touch the message. And there's a, a new wave happening in our culture and society right now, where people are trying to edit the message, to change the message, to apologize for the message or to water down the word of God, and we cannot ever touch the message. Here's the way that I kind of see it happening in our society, and this is incredibly important, especially if you are a new believer or maybe even a parent, but I believe this is the future battle for the next 10 years within the church in America, and it's around the idea of progressive liberal theology or deconstruction. And and here's the reason why. It's because we have a whole group of of young people, Gen Z and millennials like myself, who were raised in church, but were never raised in Christ. We could do church really good, but we didn't actually know who Jesus was. And when we would go to church, we weren't actually given the word. We were given TED Talks or self-help sermons, teaching us how to three simple ways to live our best life now. And so when we grew up, We didn't have a foundation in which we were to establish or to build our faith upon. And the whole world has assaulted us with messages of doubt and unbelief and of pride. And now we've begun to really question the foundation which we've been beginning to build our lives on. And here's the danger. When you don't know what you believe, you'll eventually believe anything. If you don't know what God's word says, all you know is what the the world says. And so there's a lot of people who are really desperately struggling with their faith because they weren't actually taught the word of God when they were kids. And here's how it's beginning to manifest in three different ways. The first way is I would call a hard, woke church. Hard, woke churches, they're just apostate progressives. They're heretics with TikToks. And here's what they'll say. Well, the Bible's not God's word and the resurrection probably never happened. And there's many ways in which people can go to God and we wanna be open and welcoming and tolerant. And and so we're gonna ordain gay priests and we're gonna have transgendered pastors come preach or like this photo, recently there was a church that had a, a, a drag queen story hour for their kids on a Sunday morning. Like That's the best way to get people into the church because the whole community flocks into the church. Oh, yay, we're so celebrating. Thank you for affirming us. You welcome everybody except for the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will not bless rebellion. It's what the Old Testament calls Ichabod, the glory of God has departed. This is the reason why mainline churches like the Methodist church, the Episcopal church, this is why they are fracturing and splitting and they're falling apart and these churches are dead. Why? Because they're preaching a false gospel, and God cannot bless what is in rebellion to him. And so these are the hard, woke churches. You're seeing them all over YouTube and TikTok. They're writing books, and they have podcasts. But then there's the the soft, woke churches. Like, like they don't affirm it, but they, they don't deny it. In fact, they just don't even talk about it. They're like, oh, hey, we want everybody to like us. We don't want to get canceled. We don't say anything that's offensive. And meanwhile, because the the preacher, he ignores it, the people in the pews, they go out and celebrate it because they don't know the difference because they've never been taught. And so these are the churches that they're just so concerned about their image. They're so concerned about their growth. They're so concerned about people liking them that they fear man and they no longer fear God. And meanwhile, every single person sitting in the pews of that church, they're like, why isn't my pastor talking about what everybody else is talking about? Like you turn on the news and the whole world's on fire and your pastor just has his head between those legs with his head in the sand. Like I come to church and I hear another sermon and i like, nobody's asking these questions. Here's what, here's what people are asking. They're asking about abortion and gay marriage and transgender and politics. Oh, we're not gonna preach on those things because they're too controversial. Let's just do another sermon series about debt is dumb. It's like, what? It's not, it's not hitting the spot. And there's another wave of churches that's coming up and I believe that God is raising up a remnant of these churches that are churches like ours that are bold churches. Churches that's gonna preach the full counsel of God's word. No matter what happens or what people say, we're gonna stand upon the word of God and we're gonna do what the early church did and we're gonna preach the word of God with boldness because we believe that there is power in the testimony of the resurrection of Jesus. There is power to overcome sin. There is power to have a new life. There is power of the Holy Spirit. There is power in the word of God. There is power to change. There is power to save. There is power of resurrection and newness of life in Jesus and it is the power of the gospel that transforms and changes lives. Churches got to stop playing games and start preaching the gospel because it's not in the marketing. It's in the message. It's not in the, the, it's not in the advertising. It's, it's, in the, it's in the anointing of God. It's not in the branding, but it's in the boldness of the people that continues The work of God across a region. And so, as a church, we need to get back to the simple gospel, guys, that simplicity that just says, here's the message. That Jesus lived and died. He is the only way, and no one can get to the Father but by Him. Your sins can be forgiven as far as the East is to the West. Doesn't matter who you are or what you did. New life is available for you in Christ Jesus. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come. You've been set free from sin, and you have been called to live free with Him. The message is simple. In the early church, they valued the simplicity of the message of the gospel. Hey, just tell people your testimony about what Jesus has done in your life. Which leads to the the fourth thing is this, is they have a heart for generosity. Look what it says. There was not a needy person among them, for as many were owners of lands and houses, they sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to any who have need. Now, oftentimes when a pastor starts preaching on money, people start getting a little nervous. You're like, I dug you for the first four points, now you're stepping on my toes. Why are you talking about money? Right? I liked all that stuff about simplicity, and now you're talking about money, pastors. Why do do, do pastors talk about money? Here's the reason why. Because the Bible talks about money. Like, well, I just think we need to be a biblical church. Okay, great. Let's talk about money. Because the Bible talks about, about money a whole a whole lot. It's like, well, I just don't agree with that. Well, let's just get back to the Bible. What does it say? They took up an offering and everybody brought the money and laid it at the pastor's feet. How would y'all feel if we were a biblical church like that? You're like, okay, guys, so we're going to take up our tithes and offerings now. Y'all can all just come here and lay it at my feet. <laughs> well, I think we should be a biblical church. Well, I don't agree with that anymore. Um, uh, I think, uh, you know, but here's the other thing. It says they went and sold their houses. Any of you guys want to go do that? Are you guys ready to, to, to be biblical? Right? See, here's the thing is that, is that the, the, the church talked about money, but it wasn't about money. It was mainly about their heart. It was about the attitude, it was about, it was about the need. It was about seeing the need and meeting the need through financially contributing with their, with their generosity. See, God's not after your money. What God often is after, He's after our hearts. Because Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Here, here's what I want to encourage you with, is that, is that giving is evidence of loving. The, the reason that they were so healthy was because people loved their church, and because they were loving their church, it was natural for them to give to their church. Because giving is an evidence of, of loving. Let me, let me give you an little illustration. Let's say that I go over to your house and you say, I love my wife and kids. Great, so you've invited me over for dinner, and I, I look around, and your kids are, are running around, and they have holes in their tennis shoes, and, 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 your, and your wife's car is broke down, and you don't have insurance to be able to take care of the needs of your family, and they're eating Top Ramen. Meanwhile, you're eating steak, you're driving a nice truck, followed by your boat, and you got a PS5 and a 65-inch flat screen. And I look at you, and I say, you love your, you love your wife and kids? Oh, man, I love them so much. And I would say, no, you don't. You love yourself. Because because you do not give to your family because you only take and give to yourself. Why? Because love is not what we say. Love is what we do. And love is often how we show our love is through our generosity. Like, I love my kids. I love my children. I love my wife. I want to be as generous as I can. Sometimes Ashley thinks I'm more generous than I am because she spends all my money. But either way... (laughs) I wish I could be more generous, but she spent it all. Um, But here's what we we see, is that giving is evidence of loving. The reason why they were so generous to their church is, man, they love their church so much. So here's what I wanna say, Redemption. I wanna say thank you. You know why? Because y'all are a very generous church. you, You don't have a problem with this one right now. We're all learning and growing, but you guys are doing a great job when it comes to generosity. You know, back in March, we started something that we call Multiply. It was a two-year generosity initiative. It was a discipleship initiative to be able to teach us biblical principles when it comes to the subject of finances and stewardship. And a part of it, we had had three goals, was our church, our community, and our world. Now, for those of you who are new, we just bought a brand new building. We're gonna be going from four services to two services because after it's renovated, we're gonna drop down to a, a sanctuary with 600 seats. And all of this is going to become next gen. Kids will be here on Sundays. Youth will be in here on Wednesdays. You're sitting in their chairs right now. And so, but we never want it to be about a building because the church is not a building. What is it? The church is about, it's about people. We've always wanted it to be about reaching people for the gospel. And so for our church, we've we've started working to raise the funds and construction to, to build out this new building But your giving goes far more than that. Do you know that because of your generosity, we have helped pay the rent of families. We have helped buy groceries for single moms. We have opportunities where there have been young women who have been raped or molested. We've actually just paid for their therapy all up front. That's because of your generosity. People who are not able to do it are now. You sponsored people for their freedom classes. Like Because of your generosity, we're able to meet the needs. That's the biblical goal, is that we meet the needs of the people who are in our church. That's, that's the church. But then there's our community. Because of your generosity, we're able to do things like we are next week with the Hope Women's Clinic, where we're, we're, we're working with crisis pregnancies so that women understand that there is another option besides abortion. And so we're helping. Last year we raised $10,000 for the Hope Women's Clinic. I'm believing that by God's grace, you guys are going to give even more than that this year to be able to meet the needs that are within our community. We're getting ready. We're already starting planning for our Turkey Day giveaway. We give away over 500 turkeys every single Thanksgiving to families who are in need. How do we pay for that? Through your generous contributions, through your generosity to church, to our community, and then lastly to our world. Since we started it, we've given away almost $30,000 to missions as a church. That's planting churches in in underground China, planting churches in illegal nations in the Middle East, sending a whole group of college kids overseas to go and do mission trips, supporting missionaries locally and globally, planting churches And because of your generosity, since we started, I'm just bragging on you guys for a sec. Since we started multiply in March, this is how much we have saved—not how much you've gave. This is how much we have saved as a church: nearly four hundred thousand dollars cash savings because of your generosity. We're still able to make budget every single month. You notice we've made some cuts. Um, and we're trying to be very good stewards with what you guys entrust us with but the building project is going to get started very soon so please be praying for us and this money is going to go towards the new roof towards the air conditioner towards all these different things and so as you're giving I want you to know you're making a huge difference in the people's lives and in our church so thank you so much for those of you who give And if you have yet to sign up to be a part of Multiply and you'd like to learn a little bit more, you can go out to the lobby and you can find one of these. It's a guidebook. We're not asking for any money or any contribution for you. We just want you to be informed about what your church is doing. So go outside, pick up a guidebook, kind of pray over it, read over it, talk to your spouse about it, see what God would have you to do so you could pitch in and participate. Why? Because a healthy church is a generous church. Because we love our church, therefore we we give to our church. Which leads to the last thing, number five, is that there's an attitude of humility. Look what it says as we close. It it says this. It it says that there was a great grace that was upon them all. Let me think about that. Who was the grace upon? It's all of them. There was no class system in the church of the haves and the the, have-nots, of the holy and then the normal people. They didn't divide their church up between the saints and the aints. Who was the grace on? It was on everybody. Everybody could experience the favor of God on their lives. A lot of churches get into really dangerous places when they value some people as more important than others. Or when people start wanting their way above others when people start considering themselves better than others. Because the grace of God isn't just available for you. The same grace of God is available for them and them and him and her. It's available for everybody. Here's why we need to grasp this redemption. It's because I'm not any better than you. any more holy than you? Not any more special than you. I don't have better access to God than you do. And churches get in a lot of trouble when they put their pastors on a pedestal or a platform and expect perfection out of them. And then when pastors do the same thing to members of their church and act as if they're better than the members, it causes a lot of pain in the church. So here's the way we say it at Redemption. From the parking lot to the pulpit, everybody's got a place. Because we understand this, is that a church is not built on the talents of a few, but on the sacrifice of the many. The grace of God is not available for my life any more than it is available for yours. Like, Like the favor of God isn't resting on the worship leader. No, the favor of God is resting upon us all. And if we want to to be a healthy church, we all have to come into the room with a little bit of humility and say, hey, it's not about me. It's, it's It's about Jesus and what God is doing in our midst. There was a great grace that is upon them all because they recognized that we were a body and every part of the body has an important part to play. Like, if, you're, if, your body's, if your body's hurting, like, you don't, you know, you're like, I'm hurting. Like, when, when, when I don't just say like, oh, hey, my, my, you know, this is unhealthy. I say, I'm unhealthy. Because we're all a part of the same thing. We're all a part of the body of Christ. And physically, if you want your body to be healthy, what happens? You have to make good habits. And spiritually, if we want our church body to be healthy, what do we need to do? We need to develop these good habits. What are the habits? I'll review with you. Unity, community, simplicity, generosity, and humility. Those are the habits of a church. And here's the last line as I get ready to close, because I asked you at the beginning, who wants to go to a healthy church? Everybody should have their hand raised. Raise your hand. Okay, well, here's the question. Are you a healthy church member? Because the reality is, is a church is only as healthy as its members. Because a church is what? A body. And if we're only as healthy as our members, this means that it's not my job to live it out, it's our jobs to live it out together. It's not the staff's job, it's our job to create a culture in the church that is healthy. So, my question is are you pursuing unity? Are you laying aside your wants and needs, your preferences for a greater purpose? Are you you living in community with others? Are, Are you valuing simplicity? Like are you studying and reading your Bible and praying? Are you in the word to be strong and healthy in your faith? Are you generous? Do you give as you see the needs that are happening around you? Do you love your church? And then lastly, do you have a humility about you? There's a difference between when people walk in the room and they say, I'm here, and they say, you're here. We wanna be the type of church that says, you're here. Because no one is any more important than anybody else. Because when we're all kneeling at the feet of Jesus, everybody's equal. This is what makes the church healthy.